Well, we decided as a country to be born on July 4th, and so we celebrate that by fireworks. So we picked the hottest, driest time of year, and we set everything on fire, right? That's, I guess that's, uh, at least around in Las Vegas, there's not a lot to burn. So um, happy 4th of July weekend, everybody. Glad you guys could be with us. We are finishing our series that we've entitled uh, Family Values. How many of you guys remember your first job? Remember that first job? And I don't know how old you were, um, but chances are you maybe still lived at home. And what was interesting about that time of life is that most of that paycheck was all yours. Do you guys remember that? Remember when you had a paycheck, it actually went to whatever you wanted it to go to, right? Maybe you got your first car after that, and yeah, now you had to pay some big, big person bills, like the, the insurance and the, but still it's your car, right? You know, and then you start accessorizing your car and, and all that stuff. I remember when I was uh, in middle school, I got my first kind of part-time job it was in this summer. My dad owned a company and he said I could come to work with him um, and I could make $80 a week. That's, a, that's big money for a middle school kid in the late 80s. I'm talking, you give middle school kid 80 bucks, like the, 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 the amount of sugar I'm going to buy with that $80, right? right? That is just going to happen. Um, so I started working through high school. And by the time I was in college, my truck had 33-inch tires. It had a six-inch lift kit. It had a big, huge sound system to go with it. Because that's what you do when you don't have anyone else to spend your money on, right? But you guys all know what kind of happens, right? You, at some point, hopefully, you fall in love. And when you fall in love, your paycheck starts to go in different directions. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? You start thinking about that person you care about, and now you're thinking about taking them on dates, and you're thinking about what they might want, and, and, and now all of a sudden you're focused on them a little bit more. Um, your money starts to go in that direction, um, and then hopefully you, at some point you decide you're gonna make that commitment, and you start to go ring shopping, you know? Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. And then you're just like, okay, what am I gonna buy? Um, and then pretty soon, you know, you, you, you start thinking, I got to get my own place. And all of a sudden, right, everything you used to spend your money on, all the little wasted things, right? Now you're just like, I got to, I got to get, you know, my, my, I got to buy a table. Like who buys tables, right? All that stuff, right? Like now, and then you get married. Hopefully all this happens in this order. Okay. And then you have a kid. And then all of a sudden you're just like, you know, man, at that point, all of your paycheck is gone, right? There's none of it left, right? And here's the thing. It's interesting how this all works, right? What we love, whatever we love, gets our time and our treasure, right? Our cash follows our cares. You could call this the treasure principle. You know, what happens is when somebody comes into your life and you love that person, it actually starts to change your priorities. And in some ways, when you really make those commitments in life, you become less selfish, right? There's this change that happens where you're really not thinking about yourself all the time, right? It, there's a shift away from what you want to do to what does that other person, and when you have children, it's all about them. And what can I give to them? In fact, I would say this, that unless there's a, a, a powerful force at work in your life, we're gonna drift back towards selfishness, right? And we've all seen this maybe happen, right? You get this, 
this uh, you know, new relationship and now you're really thinking about them, but pretty soon the newness of that wears off or pretty soon you know, new responsibilities come into your life after you, you've settled down, you've had children and you're kind of in the rhythm and pretty soon you just kind of have this like drift back towards maybe being selfish again, right? You just kind of like, hey, what about me? You kind of start thinking about that. And you know, here's the thing, guys, whatever we treasure in our life tends to be the direction of where we spend all of our, of our time and our resources. Whatever we value in life gets a hold of our hearts. And Jesus put it this way, right? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, right? So be careful about what you care about. Be careful about what you treasure. But let me ask you something. Does this drift back towards selfishness ever frustrate you? It frustrates me, right? Have you ever had this moment where you kind of come to Jesus and you realize, man, I'm not where I want to be. I have really lost sight of some really important things in my life. I have not been treasuring the right things. I've let my life drift a bit. I've let things kind of come back into first place where they shouldn't be. And I've, I've really kind of just kind of drifted what you could call toward the abyss of selfishness. Does that frustrate you? Do you wish that you just stayed deeply in love with your spouse? Do you wish that you just stayed with your priorities right where they need to be? Do you wish that you just kind of learned that lesson of like, hey, I want to stay focused on the right things in life? Do you wish that God always stayed right number one in your life? I do, you know? So I want to talk about this today. I want to talk about how do we stop from drifting back into selfishness? And here's some paradoxes for us. The most selfish people are also the most unhappy. The most generous people are the most joyful. That's a paradox. I mean, you would think if, if you spent your life trying to make yourself happy, you'd be happier than those who don't. But it doesn't work that way. And you'd also think that if you gave things away, if you were a generous person, that that wouldn't make you happy because now you have less for you. But it isn't. The most generous are the most joyful and the most selfish are the most unhappy. So how do we avoid this? How do we avoid this drift back to selfishness? We've been looking in this series at the early church and we have seen some values that were at work in their life. We, we had seen that some things grabbed their heart that kept them focused. And I think there's a lot we can learn today for our church. And so as we wrap up this series, I wanna look at this value that this early church had. And you've seen it in the verses. We haven't talked about it specifically, but we are today. This value of generosity, this value of being a, a people who share with others. I wanna look at this in, in Luke, um, or Luke, this is gonna be an Acts, but Luke wrote Acts. This is the writing of Luke and he summarizes this church. And he gives you just kind of like a, a window into what it was like in the good old days of the early church, right? And I, I kind of sense that that's how it's written. It's written to every, almost a little nostalgic. It's like, man, when the early church started, man, it was on fire. It was electric, you know? And so here it is, Acts chapter two. He says, they devoted themselves, talking about the early church, to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give it to anyone who had a need. Every day they continued to meet there together in the temple courts. 
And they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Can you guys picture that? They're just like having meals and they're sharing good food with each other. And they're probably talking about Peter's sermon and they're talking about the miracles that they're seeing. They're talking about the, the, the manifestations of, 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 of things they really can't hardly explain. Like, how did that happen? How did those people get healed? How did those people speak in tongues? How did those people that were far from God get turned around? They're verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily, those who are being saved. Sounds like a fun group. Sounds like an electric time to be a part of the church. And what you see here is this, this same treasure principle. They treasured something that God was doing. And, and, and because that's where their heart was, because that's where their treasure was, because that's what they, they considered important, things just kind of flowed in that direction. Because whatever has your heart also has your finances, also has your time, also has your commitment and your devotion. So here's the question. What has your heart right now? I mean, really, that's the thing, right? We're these limited humans with just so much heart to give. So what has it? What has your attention? What has your focus? For the early church, it was obvious what had their attention. It was the kingdom of God coming to earth. It was the earth-shaking, life-changing manifestation of God's kingdom that is finally erupting on the planet earth. And they were a part of that from the ground floor. And that was everything to them. Here's chapter four, Acts chapter four. Look how it's described here. Same kind of deal, kind of a summary. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. They shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, some, uh, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sale to the the feet of the apostles, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. And then Luke gives us a little example of a story, just one of the stories. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, was, uh, which means son of encouragement, he sold land, a uh, field that he owned, and he brought the money to the uh, apostles' feet as well. And so you have just one story of probably dozens of stories of people liquidating assets because there were needs in that little community that needed to be met. Guys, they were united. Let me say this as we start today. If you're tired of drifting, you need to be in a community of people who, are, who will remind you not to drift. If you don't like that yo-yo that you and I go through of like, hey, I'm, I'm a little bit more focused where I should be and then all of a sudden I drift away, then you guys, we need to be around people who will call out the yo-yo in your life. Who'll look at you and say, come on, man, let's get focused back over here. Let's, let's be a part of this one heart and one mind community that's gonna keep me focused on the right things because guys, I'm just like that little dog in that, in that one up, or cartoon, you remember that? The little, was it that one, right? And it was Squirrel and he's always everywhere. Was that the right cartoon, right? I don't know my cartoons, right? But all of a sudden Squirrel would happen and the little dogs are running, running the other way. I mean, that's how we are. So distracted by the shiny little objects that can grab our attention. They were devoted, they were focused. 
They were of one heart and of one mind. Being a part of your community is so critical to your focus. I was, I was mentioning this in the first ser- uh, service, but um, uh, one of the early kind of uh, lessons I learned as a, as a young married guy was um, watching my buddy Mike, Mike Nay. Uh, he was married two years before I was. And, um, and I watched how he just put his wife and he, he made a discipline of putting his wife before himself. I remember one time we were like coming home from somewhere and he says, I need to stop by the florist. And I go, what for? Uh, I got to get flowers for my wife. So I took notes, like get flowers for the wife. Like, That's a good, it wasn't her birthday. It was Friday, you know, I'm like, I love that guy. You know, like he was showing me just by hanging out with Mike like, this is, this is a way to put your wife ahead of you. You know, take those t- extra few minutes, write a card, you know. And that, guys, that's what, it, that's what happens when you're in a healthy community, when you're around people who keep you focused on the right things in life. You got brothers and sisters who remind you about the preeminence of Jesus in your life, right? Like, come on, let's get back focused on Jesus right now. But hey, let's, 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 let's carve out some time just to pray together. Or maybe they send you, maybe you got a group of friends and they're sending texts reminding you of, of different things we're trying to do, like maybe a prayer initiative or a Bible study you're doing or some encouragement in that way. That's what you're seeing here in the early church. You're seeing this community of devoted people who are keeping the, the, the church from drifting. So I wanna talk about what we just read. We read about a church that experienced need. And rather than looking outside of the church, they looked inside of the church and they go, you know what? Our brothers and our sisters, they have need. And so we're gonna, we're gonna cash in some of our assets, whatever we have, and we're gonna help out those who have need in our church. We're gonna be the body of Christ. We're gonna be the family of God because isn't that what a healthy family does? Now, a healthy family takes care of each other. You know, we've kind of lost some of that maybe in, in the United States at some, in some ways because we're a very, you know, individualized people. But when you're a part of a, a group, a part of a family or a tribe, right, there's so much of just taking care of the needs within that group that's just natural. And so in this tribe, in this group, people, some of them were poor. And you can read more through the book of Acts. I'm not going to spend time, you know, delineating all that, but there were widows in the church, and the church collected for the widows. And there were people who, who were suffering from different like, you know, natural disasters and earthquakes and famines at different points. And so the church was just kind of there to say, look, I'm gonna be a family that you can count on. When we started this series, I said that if the modern church would recapture some of the values of the ancient church, we would be a powerful witness to our world. Because how many people want to be a part of a group that says, I'll accept you just like you are. I'll feed you. I'll clothe you. I'll care for you. You have a family. You might be orphaned. You might feel like no one's in your corner. But this group, these children of God, these brothers and sisters, they're going to invite you in and they're going to love you back to life. And they're going to show you who Jesus is. And as you follow Jesus, he's going to start to transform your life in ways you can't even imagine. That's a powerful witness to our world. Can I get an amen, church? So here's the value today. They shared. This church shared. They shared their resources. But I want to talk about something related to giving today that I'm really, that's deep on my heart. Because just because you give doesn't mean 
that you have grace in your heart. You can give for a lot of reasons. And, and I want to kind of talk through that today because I want to I talk about this, this giving that we can sometimes do that's not connected to grace, that's not connected to being transformed or in love with Jesus, that's instead that's connected to debt or obligation. I feel like I owe God, so I'll give. Or I feel like I'm trying to get God to bless me, so I'm going to give. Or I feel like I just ought to do it. So instead of out of this overflowing joy, I give because I feel like I'm obligated to. You know, you can give without being generous. That's really interesting to say that, isn't it? But it's true. You could just give somebody something, but your heart's not a generous heart. You're not really transformed in the deep way. And there's a passage where Paul really spells this out really clearly. And I want to look at this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I think this is a powerful, powerful teaching today for our church. In chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, Paul's this is the second letter he's written to this church. And he's addressing some needs that other churches have. There's, there's a group of Christians that are in Jerusalem that are hurting, they're suffering. And, and they're suffering because there's a famine in that part of the world. Well, there wasn't a famine in Corinth. Corinth was, Corinth was actually doing really well. They were wealthy. They had all that they needed. But there were Christians in Jerusalem that were really hurting. And Paul felt a burdened by the Holy Spirit to collect money from the churches that were doing well, to take that to the churches that were hurting. And then so kind of share the resources with the brothers and sisters. And so he had been doing that collection. And I won't get into all that today, but I want to just point one part of it out for our purposes here. So he's writing this letter and he says, now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace. I'll underline that. The grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Let me kind of break this down. So just to the north of Corinth is this place called Macedonia. It's a region. There's several churches there. And they're in the outlying areas and they're, they're in the sticks, okay? They're out in the country and they're poor. Most of the non-urban centers were poorer than the urban centers, Corinth is actually one of the most wealthy places in the entire Roman Empire because Corinth is this gateway, this, this sea area where you have all this trade going in and out of Corinth. Corinth was, they, they said it was like the Las Vegas of the ancient world. Um, and so Corinth is this place that's very wealthy, doing very well. And so you have this richer church and you have this poor church. There's a little contrast here. But before Paul talks to the richer church about their help, for the, the, the need that he's presenting, he, he reminds them or he tells them about their northern neighbors, the Macedonians. And I want to point out a few things he says. He says, first, I want you to know about this grace that God gave to these Macedonians. Now, what does that mean, grace? Most of us only think of grace in the term of being saved by grace. Grace is this idea that God gave us a gift a gift that just is, as Paul says, it's indescribable that God himself would become a human and give his life, his precious life on the cross. And so by that, pay our sins, pay for our debt so that we could have eternal life. That is grace. But grace isn't just salvation. Grace is also transformation. Grace is something that God places in the heart of a believer and it begins to transform that believer. 
And you see grace in someone's life when they start to do things that honestly don't make a lot of sense in the natural world. Like when you're poor, give generously. That's what the Macedonians were doing. They were poor and yet they gave generously. This is something that shows you that grace is, in your, is, is at work in your life. That doesn't make sense. If you're poor, you should try to conserve as, as much as you can. Giving is the last thing you should be doing, right? And Paul, doesn't, Paul says, look, they were poor, and yet they still gave generously. And he's talking to this rich group. Here's another example of grace. You're going through a very difficult time, and yet you have joy. Wait a second, if you're in a difficult time or a difficult season, you shouldn't have joy. But somehow, some way, God's joy is manifest even in a difficult trial. Or if you're in a stressful situation and you have peace, right? Again, that shouldn't be there. You shouldn't have peace if you're in a stressful situation. But that's the evidence of grace. Are you guys understanding what grace looks like in someone's life? It's this indescribable, kind of inexplainable act of the Holy Spirit in someone's heart that does almost the opposite of what you'd expect. So Paul is using that example, and he says to these, Mas to these Corinthians that these Macedonians were in this very severe trial, but he says they overflowed with joy in their extreme poverty, and they welled up into rich generosity. I want to look at these two words, overflowing joy, and welled up. You know, there's something about the way those are worded. It's almost as if Paul is picturing, and this is how I picture it, a, a bowl of pasta on a, on a stove. And you let it boil a little long. You go and you clean up the kid's mess or something, right? And you forgot you have the spaghetti. You guys been there before. And you turn around and all of a sudden it's boiling over, right? And you're, now your wife's going to have to sit down with another mess, right? Here's the thing, right? It's just boiling over. I, I love that picture because I think that's such an insight into how you're supposed to live the Christian life. I think we should live lives of being boiling over with the spirit, that we should so stoke the fire of our walk with Jesus that we just boil over. And then we start, to, we start to experience things and we start to do things because we're just in love with Jesus. It just kind of boils over. And out of the boiling over, you, you then well up. And now you give generously. That's what's happening here. Well, let's look at the next verse. It says here, he goes on, uh, he says, for I testify, now he's talking about the Macedonians, that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. Look, at, look what he says. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Notice how they're talking about giving. There's not an ounce of regret. They don't, they don't have their arm twisted behind their back. Paul isn't saying, yeah, you know, I really kind of had to, you know, bring out the sob story and try to twist their arms. They're like, no, Paul, we want to do this. Paul, we've been so radically transformed by the grace of God. We are so in love with Jesus. We cannot believe what Jesus has done for us. Like, please let us participate in helping with this other need. Like Paul literally was like, they insisted on giving us the money for this, 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 this need that was presented. Isn't that what somebody who's in love does? How many parents in this room, when your child has a real need, not one of those, can I really have the new pair of Jordans? No, that's not a real need. You know, I'm, I'm talking about a real need, right? You just like, of course, I want to take care of that. No question. 
you know, or a family member, you know, of course, hey, I'm with you. I'm here, right? There's not arm twisting. There shouldn't be anyway. If there is, let's talk later, right? But there shouldn't be, right? It should be out of just an overwhelming love for your, for your family member that you're just, of course, yes, here's whatever you need. The text goes on and he says, and they exceeded our expectations. But I wanted to look at what it says. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord. Guys, I want to show you this. Your finances always follows your faith. You always give first to Jesus and then to the need financially. Because if your finances are not following your faith, then you're not really connected in the way God wants you to be connected. You're given in such a way to try to maybe manipulate God himself. I've known of people that said, if I write this check, then God will have to bless me. Guys, that is not anywhere in scripture. That is such a wrong view of how our relationship with God works. You cannot manipulate God into a blessing. And if you think you can, friend, I don't want, I, I want to tell you now, you're, you're setting yourself up for a disappointment. That's not how it works. They gave themselves first to the Lord. And then by the will of God also to us. Verse six, he says, so we urge Titus just as he had earlier made a beginning to bring also the completion of this act of grace on your part. Then he goes on, he says this, for since you excel in everything, in faith and speech in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, look what he says, see that you excel in this grace of giving. Here's what he's saying to this Corinthian church. He says, you know, you're, you're famous, church. You're famous for your gifts of the spirit. In fact, they kind of got in trouble with it a little bit. If you know the Bible, you know what I'm talking about. He says, but you, you're famous in all these wonderful, spectacular gifts. Be famous for this too. Excel in this also. Be known for your generosity. Guys, it's because the early church valued generosity. Pastor Paul put his pastor hat on. He's looking at a church that has a lot of resources. And he says, guys, being a believer means being a giver. Following Jesus means being someone who says, look, I am, I am invested financially. I'm not just invested with like my attendance at church or I'm not just, you know, signing on some form. Yes, I marked the box Christian. No, you can't do that. You're in a family and sometimes family members have needs and all of us share with those needs. And look what Paul does next. This is so powerful. He says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it to the Macedonians. He goes, so this is not a command from Jesus. This is more of a coach. Paul says, I want to see what's really in your heart. Like, are you really sincere? Because talk is cheap, <laughs> And then he says these words, some of those powerful words in the entire letter of 2 Corinthians. And I could just imagine hearing this for the first time. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Does that hit you, church? that our God and Savior became poor so that we could benefit from his riches. Like he pointed to the Macedonians and then he points to Jesus and he just says, 
Guys, this is the Jesus way. This is the Jesus way. The Jesus way is the generous way. The Jesus way is the way that says, hey, I'm willing to give up status and privilege to help someone else. I'm willing to give up my resources so that I can in that way, listen, follow Jesus. Guys, you are following the example of Jesus when you give generously. That's what this text is saying. He says, this is exactly what Jesus did. He gave generously. So give generously. Verse 10, he says, so here's my judgment. This is really the coach Paul now. Here's what's best for you. Last year was the, uh, last year you were the first, not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. So he's referring to a previous offering. He says, now finish the work that you were so eager, that you, your eager willingness to do. I couldn't read this last service either. I don't know what it is about this verse. I just can't read this. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. That's a powerful word. He says, guys, last year you wanted to do it, but you didn't get a chance to finish it. So finish it. Don't just get emotionally stirred up and not do anything. Don't just be a hearer of the word. Be a doer of the word is what Paul's saying here. He writes this powerful, just quick command at the end of his first letter to, to, to Timothy, to this pastor that's preaching to another church, to the Ephesians. Look what he says here. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Man, don't think that if you give away what you have, that you won't be taken care of. Guys, you're, God's going to take care of you. Like, you've got to trust him. Like, he's going to take care of what you need. And then he goes on, he says this. He says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Here's what Pastor Paul is saying. He's grabbing you by the shoulders. He's looking you deep in the eye. And he's saying, listen, it is so easy to get distracted with a world that is fading away. Don't do it. Guys, there's so much more to life than accumulating stuff. Start giving it away because one day the King of Kings is going to return and the Lord of Lords is going to come. And when he comes, when he returns, it will be worth it all. Come on. Anyone else excited today about that? Come on. This was the ethic. This was the virtue. This was the value of the early church they shared. They gave. Guys, our ancestors, our brothers and sisters, they started the first orphanages. They started the first hospitals. They started the first social networks to help people. They, they housed travelers in their homes. They began to feed the poor. They took care of the widows. Guys, that's the legacy of the church of Jesus. That was the value. If you want to see the miracles, if you want to see the signs and wonders, you got to get all in. You got to be focused on the kingdom. Here's all the values together. I'm going to show this and I'm going to tell you a story. Here's all the values together. All of these values that we looked at, all of them together, the more one of them grows, the more they all grow. And I want to talk about some of these at work in our church. 
So about maybe eight months ago, I started to pray for our city. I've been praying for our city. I've been asking the Lord, God, how do we reach the city? How, does, how, how do I help lead our church into our city? And I, I have this place where I live and I can see a lot of the city and I'm overwhelmed by the size of it and the scope of it and the job of bringing the good news of Jesus. I'm just praying. And so I've been praying for the city and I don't, I, 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 I'm gonna tell you a little bit about my own walk with Jesus. So sometimes I'll get these, like, these impressions and I didn't know where this one impression was coming from. And at first I dismissed it, but it was this, this almost like a feeling of an ache in my heart for this rehab center across the street. It used to be called Lake Mead Rehab Center. Now they changed the name to Henderson Rehab. But it's been there for years. And I may have told part of the story to you, but I started to have an ache for it. And I start, every night I would pray for it, pray for it. I didn't know why. I was praying for the city and I was like, okay, I'm gonna pray for those people. I know there's people who live there. Um, yeah, there's a picture of it. And so I was praying for it. Sometimes I'd go into the parking lot and pray for it. Well, through a crazy set of circumstances, I got a chance to meet the lady who would be in charge of volunteers. It was right when COVID was getting out. And so uh, I didn't know who to talk to. I'd call, no one would answer. They wouldn't return my calls. I come to find out later there was a change in administration and a lot of stuff. So I was like, maybe they don't want volunteers because of COVID or whatever. I meet this lady. She's not only like excited I'm there, she's a believer. And she is welcoming us or me there. So at first I'm there and I'm going by myself. Sometimes I'd bring someone with me, but a lot of times I'm there by myself. And I'm going to tell you, church, I'm sometimes on my way there and I'm saying, this is my prayer. Lord, I don't know why I'm going to this place. This place is smelly. It's kind of stinky. It's, it, I'm uncomfortable here. I, I, what, am I, what good am I doing here? I'm a pastor. I'm not a CNA or a nurse. I can't, what am I doing here? You know, I literally have these conversations, okay? So maybe your opinion of me is going to go down. I was like, Lord, are you sure I'm supposed to go here? I don't know, you know? And I just hike myself up and I go there. And guys, I would frust- I'd be frustrated. Because the lady was like, well, there was a pastor here before COVID and we would bring people and he would do a little Bible study in the, in the room. And so let's do that. And so I'd show up, like one person there. And, and, and honestly, a lot of times uh, people, you don't know if they can even hear you. You know, there's a lot of cognitive, um, sometimes cognitive decline or issues. So I'm like, Lord, literally, what am I doing here? Like, is this what I'm supposed to be doing, right? So then about... Four or five weeks into that, I said, you know what? Let's, let's can the Bible study because that's not working. I'm just going to go visit people in their rooms. So instead of trying to get them to come to me, I'm going to go to them. And I would. I would just visit random people. Just knock on the door. Hey, I'm Pastor Brad. What are you doing here? You know, seriously, that was sometimes a greeting, right? I'll never forget this one guy. His name is Visco. Um, I have so many stories now. But Visco, he was uh, from, from, from New York, really hard, like really like angry. I said, Visco, hey, I'm Pastor Brad. What do you want? He was, he's blind. He can't see, so he has like a, a towel over his face. I go, Visco, I'm here, to, I'm here just to talk to you. You can go. I don't, want, I don't want anybody. I go, come on, Visco. You know, I kind of, I don't know why. I felt the spirit just said like mess with him a little bit. So I'm like, Visco, come on. You know, who else are you having, hanging out with in here, right? There's no one in here. He told me, he told me like, this place is hell. Like he was telling me all this stuff. This is, you know, his experience. So eventually I was able to get more people to go with me, right? So now guys, I'm not kidding you. We, man, like a dozen people sometimes will come and we'll visit these people, right? I got to hurry in my story. Sorry, get, get all tied up here. 
Last week, so I'm gonna, I have a lot of stories I'm gonna skip, get to last week. Last week, they say, hey, we're gonna wash wheelchairs. Some of these people haven't had their wheelchair washed in years. And we wanna wash wheelchairs. Can you bring volunteers? Absolutely. So we have all these volunteers coming. We're washing wheelchairs. Um, Chris, come out here and tell us the story. This is crazy what happened. So Chris is there. Brian is there. We're washing wheelchairs. Tell us what happened. So we're washing these wheelchairs (laughs) with water and soap, spraying them down. And Brian, yeah, you know this story, buddy? In youth group, he heard it. And... uh, and he's there, and he's like, Chris, I, uh, there's, there's, there's a tag on this chair, and the tag, it reads Cockerel on it, and that's, uh, that's my last name. That is not a common one out here in the West. Now, if you go to Alabama, Cockerels are wherever. Cockerel, Cockerel. It's a rare last name. So I was like, what? Cockerel? Um, and um, I went to the chair, and I was like, huh. And then it just kind of hit me. I was like, wait a second. My aunt is a cockerel, and she is my dad's only sibling, okay? And the, and, and, and the last time I saw her was when I was eight years old. And she was born with uh, cerebral palsy and born blind and mute. And she's been taken care of by the state since she was a young girl. And when she was born, she was told by, by, by the doctors that she would not live past 12 years old. So her mom passes away at 26. Seven years old, her dad, my grandpa, passes away at age 60, and her uh, brother, my dad, passed away at age 39. And so, all of this is coming to me, and I was like, she's probably passed away because I haven't heard of her. We wanted to talk to her years ago, but we contacted the state and, 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 uh, you know, we couldn't get a hold of her. Okay. So we thought that she passed. Anyway, this tag, it says cockerel. And so I just call like one of the workers over said, Hey, um, who is this person? She's like, why? I was like, uh, cause I'm a cockerel. She's like, okay. I was like, well, it might be my aunt. I don't know if this is an older chair that we're washing or whatever. She said, Melissa Cockerel? I was like, yeah, I think so. And she's like, is she blind? I was like, yes. And I told her, I was like, is she like 64 years old? She said, come with me. And we walk to the top floor of what was called the the dementia unit, which I think you've been there only one time, right, Brad? And we're there, and it's for people that need more care, right? It's 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 dark up there. 
And I walk into this room, and sure enough, my aunt is still alive. And she's there. And I walk into this room, and I just said, hey. I said, do you remember your uh, brother David? I'm his son. And she can't talk, but she was like so like I was she was totally responding to that and the workers were like you know whatever like oh my god I can't believe and and my best buddy uh, 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 Brian he was just like this is a movie <laughs> and um, I got to give her a hug and told her you have family here now I was the first person to visit her in 13 years she moved into that spot right down the street in 2010 we did not know that she was just right here this whole time and if it wasn't for us giving our time to serve this community which can't repay you which can't come to this church even but we're here to serve the city we wouldn't have seen that tag which wouldn't have been like hey you know, the whole story, guys. And so, church, can I call you that if you're here today, right, and you're like, God, what do you want want, 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 want me to give today? God, before you give him your money, before you give him your service, yeah. God wants you. Amen. Come on. God wants your heart. God wants you. God wants to be in you and with you and where you go if you're giving god you then 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 be ready for 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 miracles to come for stuff because i had talked about that with the lord years and years ago but god didn't he did not forget it i forgot it but god did not forget it so church i just i just want to call you right now if you're that person today where you're like, man, I want to give God my everything. I want to be a part of his call on, on my life. If you want to rededicate your walk to, to Jesus, if you want to be on mission with God, I want you to, 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 to stand up today, right now. If you're that person right now where you're like, I want to rededicate my walk and by calling to the Lord stand up right now come on if you're that person where you're like I want to be a part of God's kingdom work I want to rededicate this calling to the Lord I want to be all a part of his call on my life stand to your feet God is good amen Church, life is all about decisions. Your life is the sum total of your choices. A decision to follow or not to follow. A decision to surrender or not to surrender. A decision to trust or not to trust. If you could just bow your heads where you are. Some of you are standing. Others want to stand and join. I want to pray over you as one of your pastors. And I want to encourage you 
to put your full yes on the table, to embody the values that we've been talking about in this series, to be a family that prays, to be a family that's devoted to each other, that no one in this church would feel alone or by themselves. We're all fighting such big battles. We need each other. There's so many things the enemy is trying to do in our lives. We need each other that we would be devoted to one another, that we would be people who are generous with our resources, that we'd be people who are are pursuing intimacy with God, that we are people who testify about Jesus, that we are people that are just completely focused on what the apostles taught us, that there is one God, there's one mediator. His name is King Jesus. He's come to die and to give his life as a ransom for us so that we can have eternal and forever life with him. There's a statement I read this week that's really rocked me and I want to leave it with you today. It was a comment on this passage. And he said this, every command of God is a promise in disguise. Every time God says, hey, do this, there's a promise in disguise. When you make that decision to follow those commands, you are gonna find those promises. When you say, God, I here I am, send me. I'm gonna go. Here I am, I'm gonna give. Here I am, I'm gonna do. Guys, in every one of those commands, there's a promise. I'm never gonna leave you. You're gonna be taken care of. I've got you. I'm not gonna leave you. You've got what you, you you're gonna get what you need. You're gonna get my presence and my provision. I promise you're, got, you're never gonna be forsaken. You're gonna be, I'm gonna be with you to the end. If you're here today and you've never given your life to King Jesus, right where you stand or sit, I want to offer you an opportunity to receive Jesus. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want you to cry out to Jesus if you've never trusted him with this prayer. Jesus, I'm tired of running. God, I know you love me, even though I might not even love myself or the things I've done. But God, I don't want to run. I want to receive salvation. I want to receive the gift that you gave me on the cross. I put my trust and I give my allegiance to King Jesus. I surrender to King Jesus. Please forgive me of my sins. God, take me into your eternal kingdom. I believe you rose again from the dead. And because of that, I too will rise. You want to stick around after service and receive prayer? We'll have our prayer team right here. If you want to be, if you are holding a burden that you can't get rid of, we're going to have a prayer team up here to pray with you. If you want to talk more about something I said in sermon, I'll, I'll be around. You can chat. I want to pray a blessing over you, and then we'll have Brian close. Father, would you bless us in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? May we embody these values that our ancient brothers and sisters embodied. We're here today because of their love and service. We thank you for that in Jesus' name.